I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 87th Texas legislature. This week, the disconnect. It's not like we didn't have a broadband problem in Texas before the pandemic, but what we've seen over the last 11 months, as learning has gone virtual, as telemedicine has become a critical component of healthcare, and as the vast majority of us have been doing business out of the office and seeing family and friends remotely, is that we're way past the point of needing a solution. For the record, an estimated 877,000 Texans don't have physical access to broadband at home. Not in 2001 or 2011, but today. That's roughly the equivalent of the entire population of South Dakota. That represents more than 315,000 households in Texas that lack sufficient connectivity to attend class, visit a doctor online, or work from home. Only 67.6% of households in Texas subscribe to broadband, lower than the national average. Texas, which likes to be first and best at everything, is a measly 35th in broadband adoption among all U.S. states and territories. Texas is also one of only six states without a state broadband plan and one of only a dozen without a state broadband office. No wonder Governor Greg Abbott made broadband access one of his emergency items in the 2021 session. It is, especially in the middle of a public health crisis, that rare thing legislatively, an actual emergency. Our guest this week, State Representative Trent Ashby, needs no convincing. The Lufkin Republican has been burning up the wires on the issue for years, representing as he does the sort of district in which lack of broadband poses a special challenge. Those 877,000 Texans I referred to earlier, the ones without physical access to broadband, 88% of those are in rural communities. Now in his fifth term, Ashby is the author of marquee legislation in the Texas House that means to address our digital deficiency. It's expected to carry a low bill number, HB5, befitting its priority status, and it has four main pillars. It requires the creation of a state broadband plan within a year. It establishes a state broadband office. It maps the state's neediest areas, and it creates a mechanism to take in and distribute public and private dollars for the purpose of narrowing the divide. The Senate counterpart to HB5, also expected to be a priority, has been introduced by another East Texan, Robert Nichols, and no one thinks the differences between the two bills are an obstacle to passage. Real progress looks to be within reach. Finally, though Ashby wasn't quite ready to take a victory lap when we talked on the morning of Monday, February 15th, day 35 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by the Texas Farm Bureau, trusted as the voice of Texas agriculture, advocating for farmers, ranchers, and property owners, protecting the rural way of life. And by the Texas Municipal League, supporting the implementation of broadband access, which positions the state for greater economic opportunities and lifts up small rural communities. And Texas Electric Cooperatives, the voice of the 75 local electric co-ops seeking solutions to the broadband needs of rural Texas. And 
the Texas Organization of Rural and Community Hospitals, working for rural Texas hospitals, clinics, and communities to make sure no Texan is left behind. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, proud to support this conversation because public dialogue and civic engagement are important and play a role in improving the health of Texans. So I can't get this New York Times story out of my head. It was published four years ago this week, and the headline was Bridging a Digital Divide That Leaves School Children Behind. The point was that there is unequal access to internet all over the country, and that you have kids in school who are going home at night trying to do their homework, and they don't have the means to be able to do it. And the picture is the thing that haunts me. It was three siblings in McAllen, and they were standing outside of their school complex, I guess, uh, at seven o'clock at night on their smartphones, accessing the Wi-Fi network from the school after hours so they could do their homework. That was four years ago. Can you imagine what it must be like now during the pandemic? Yeah, regrettably, Evan, uh, the scenario you just shared, whether it's in New York or it's down in the Valley, uh, it is still widespread today uh, across not just uh, our beloved Lone Star State, but across the country. And that's why uh, there's so many of us uh, in the legislature uh, that have been talking, frankly, for uh, a period of years now about the importance of addressing the issue you just referenced, which is bridging uh, the digital divide that we, we currently face in the state. And so I'm, I'm uh excited uh, that uh, uh, potentially we may be seeing some progress made this session. Uh, you know, as I've, I've told a lot of my colleagues and my constituents uh, back here at home, that increasing access to and adoption of broadband service across Texas is one of, if not the most important issue that we must address during this legislative session. But, you know, uh, Representative, I mean, I'm going to give you the credit for doing the hard work going forward, but I'm going to dunk on you, not just you, but your colleagues going backward. What has taken so long? This is not a new problem. I feel like every session we talk about this, the problem has gotten worse and worse. We know what the statistics tell us about the number of people around the country and the number of people in Texas who don't have access to any Internet, don't have access to high speed broadband, which, let's be honest, in the world we're living in, high speed broadband is needed for school work. In a community like yours, economic development hinges upon the ability of people to get on not just the internet, but high speed. I mean, this is not a new problem. Why has it taken so long for the state to to get to a point where it's now legitimately an emergency? Right. And you're you're you are correct, uh, Evan. This uh, this this is a huge problem and it has been uh, for many years now. Uh, And the answer to your question, though, is. it's really everyone, uh, everyone's fault, in my opinion, if you will, uh, starting with uh, our, our friends in Washington, D.C. You know, when you look at the reality of where we are today, when we find ourselves with uh, broadband service capabilities across the country, uh, especially as it pertains to outreach in rural areas uh, and low uh, income communities uh, across our country, uh, so much of that infrastructure has been, if not outright, funded by the federal government, it's certainly been incentivized by the federal government. And so whether we're talking about Texas, Arizona, New York, or any of the other states, really so much of the federal uh, or the, the, the dollars that must be in place to help incentivize private companies to build out that last mile into 
our low income and rural communities really or traditionally has been uh, financed by the federal government. And uh, I'm pleased to report that, uh, you know, in the last two years, really, uh, under the former Trump administration and now the Biden administration, uh, we are seeing uh, new significant dollars uh, that are being uh, put into uh, really two uh, federal uh, agencies, which is the FCC and the USDA which will allow us to build out more broadband across uh, our country. So uh, there is hope on the horizon, uh, but that's not to say that we certainly haven't had some bumps along the way. I mean, obviously, we have a, a, an interesting relationship. That's how I'll characterize it with the federal government here in Texas. But uh, the fact is, this is maybe an area where Texas has an incentive to work with, speaking of incentives, an incentive to work with the federal government, right? No question about it. This, this is huge. The federal government pl will play... Uh, a tremendous role in our ability to succeed in increasing access to uh, broadband services across the state. Yeah, there's nothing, though, that the state could have done on its own. I mean, again, I think about the part that you're, you've got your hands on or about to have your hands on, which is legislation at the state level, how the state can try to address the problem. This is not something that we can solve on our own. That's what I'm hearing from you. That's correct. That's correct. The, the, the one element um, that uh, I was surprised uh, that was laid bare uh, through the COVID-19 pandemic was that Texas was only one of six states uh, across the country that did not have a statewide broadband plan. Yep. And that was really uh, shocking uh, to a lot of people, especially uh, uh, a lot of legislators that have been working on this uh, as a result of the, the pandemic. Uh, but in, in, uh, practical terms, why that uh, is so important, other than just not having a plan, uh, is as we were dealing with uh, our internet service providers and looking at some legislation for this session, which I know we'll, we'll talk about, um, I was uh, surprised and, and frankly disappointed to learn that uh, when they request funding through the FCC or the USDA for federal funding to help subsidize their investments, that because Texas does not have a statewide broadband plan, that they were automatically deducted points on their grading scale. And so mm -hmm. it was no surprise that uh, in many cases, uh, our requests for funding from the feds uh, were not successful, but be simply because we didn't have a plan. So we're gonna address that this session right. uh, in, in moving forward. We were keeping our, we were basically getting in our own way, you're saying, by not having a plan. That was the problem. We were. Creating, right. uh, creating obstacles to the solution. Before we get to your bill and, and what you intend uh, for the legislature to do, I want to talk about your district, District 57. Let's talk about your rural district. You're in deep East Texas. In so many ways, your district is exactly the kind of district. Those communities are exactly the kind of communities that we're attempting to bring into the modern world with us with this legislation, right? T tell That's me exactly about right. what is it like back there and how has the pandemic made the situation, which I assume was already bad, worse. Sure. So let's start with, uh, let's start with education. Uh, as I often say, uh, as, a, as a, a parent of, of, you know, two kids in public schools, as well as a former school board member, if we don't get education right in the state of Texas, nothing else matters. And so when you look at uh, our public education delivery model, uh, of course, pre-COVID-19, that was, that was kids sitting in a classroom, primarily learning, uh, you know, the curriculum. Well, 
come last March with COVID-19, we saw a major disruption in the ability to carry out and execute the mission of our our school systems. And so remote learning, uh, virtual school network, all of those became uh, widespread, commonplace. And in theory, that sounds really good. When you can't, you know, meet in person, well, let's just get online and let's yeah. let's carry out let's carry out the classes. Well, in in August, when school started, when all school districts were uh, required to start with remote learning for the first six weeks, uh, many of the thirty six school districts that I have, uh, they weren't able to do that because not only did they not have access to reliable broadband. But in some cases, they don't even have access to cellular service. And so you couldn't ping a a Wi-Fi hotspot off a cellular tower. Um, So it it just didn't work. And so, yes, I I do think the uh, scenario I'm describing uh, in several of my counties is very representative of a lot of our rural counties across the state of Texas. And so, yes, I think what we are trying to do here is much like, um, you know, Congress did in the 1930s with the, when they created the Rural Electrification Administration. Broadband has become, as the governor said, it's no longer a luxury. It's a necessity. And so yeah. uh, this session, the legislature must act and ensure that our communities across the state have access to this digital equity. Yeah, you know, you make an interesting point. We, we would not deny people in your community water. We would not deny them electricity. In some ways, uh, the internet or broadband has become, even just basic internet service, has become a utility very much like electricity or, or water, right? You, it, it, information, access to information is as critical and the ability to connect with other people, whether it's, again, through the public school or higher ed doors or the healthcare door, all of that is as important as being hooked up to water or power, right? That's exactly right. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I'll give you uh, another scenario that exacerbates the situation. One of the uh, challenges, uh, again, this is nothing new, but that everyone knows that we face in rural Texas and really rural America, is the closure of, of hospitals and healthcare clinics. And so when that happens in a rural community, increasingly that community must rely on telehealth to replace or supplement the closure of that local health clinic or hospital. Well, again, in a lot of communities that works fine, but when you get out into the more remote areas, uh, whether it's, you know, just distance or, or, you know, physical obstacle because in our area of so many towering pine trees or whatever, uh, that just doesn't always work. And so as telehealth, has become vitally important yeah. to all Texans. It is that much more important to rural Texans because of what we've seen, unfortunately, with the closures of our hospitals and clinics. So, uh, whether it's remote learning, it's telehealth, <clears throat> right? Uh, e- e- you know, our small businesses uh, trying to, you know, making a living with through e-commerce increasingly, telecommuting right. people that want it to move out to, uh, you know, more r- r- remote or rural areas of the state, uh, but yet they got to have that vital link to their job. Uh, we, we're just at a point where broadband service is an absolute necessity. Right. I mean, again, in a state that's so intensely focused on economic development, workforce innovation, and trying to attract a business, trying to attract businesses from other states. I mean, all of this plays into what you're doing. So why did you decide to file this bill? Why you and not somebody else? 
Uh, talk me through the history of how you came to be the one to carry this legislation. Well, let me say this. There have been a lot of members, and there are a lot of members, uh, that are working in, in this space of, of broadband expansion. And so uh, I want to say that this is a team effort. Uh, you know, I, I and my staff haven't done anything in a vacuum. We have worked very closely uh, on our bill with our, our Senator, Robert Nichols, uh, who is carrying the companion in the Senate. But we've also worked very closely with a number of my colleagues uh, in the rural caucus. For example, uh, Doc Anderson, uh, who right. uh, really helped lead the effort last session. And so there's been a, there's a lot of, of people working on this uh, issue. Uh, but for me, uh, it really came to light in, um, as, as I said earlier, as a result of COVID-19 uh, yeah. and listening to the outcry from so many of the people that I'm blessed to represent that were just disconnected from their job, remote learning, healthcare, what yeah. have you. And so uh, at that point, you know, it became obvious to me that we had to do something. My office, we had to do something. And so that's when we started looking into you know, in dealing with and working with some of the internet service providers, what can we do to better expand broadband service across Texas? Uh, and that's when we saw, Evan, the uh, the void that the that Texas didn't have a plan. Yeah. And so and that's when uh, also you saw last September, and I know the Tribune uh, had a couple articles that you guys published uh, on a letter that Senator Nichols and I um, spearheaded with uh, 88 of our colleagues, both senators and house members, Democrats and Republicans, urban, suburban, rural, uh, that really highlighted the need uh, to developing a broadband plan. And yeah. so that really was the, the jump off point of the nexus to where, uh, you know, we, we had skin in the game. And from there, uh, you know, we, we just were having, you know, I'd say round the clock, but routine stakeholder meetings uh, with yep. a wide disparate group of people that are involved in this area of broadband expansion. And uh, ultimately, that culminated uh, in uh, in the filing of uh, House Bill Five. Uh, so you call it House Bill Five. Of course, it wasn't filed originally as House Bill Five. We understand that it's going to have a low bill number. Five is what we understand. Um, that's a, that's an indication of it as a priority of the chamber, right? The fact that it's a low bill number that tells you that the speaker leadership and the chamber view this as. A, a critical element. And that was probably going to be the case before the governor made it an emergency item. But everybody seems to be on the same page now as far as that goes, right? About this is a priority. Absolutely. Yes, that, that is correct. Uh, this is going to be a priority, not only for Speaker Phelan in the Texas House, uh, but uh, I understand the lieutenant governor has uh, reserved a low bill number uh, for the companion bill in the Senate. And uh, as we all know, the governor. Uh, of interest uh, of all the, of all the different uh, emergency items that uh, he mentioned here a couple of weeks ago, the first item that was mentioned was this issue of broadband access. Right. So let's talk about the, the components of the bill that you filed. Um, You've mentioned a couple of times the lack of a state plan. That is one of maybe the most important one of the components. What do you imagine a state plan looks like? Who will decide what it looks like? Who will contribute to it? Who will write it? How's it going to come to pass as a result of your bill? Right. Great questions. So succinctly put, uh, our bill uh, does basically four things. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to uh, calling for the creation of a statewide broadband plan, which 
uh, of interest would have to be completed within 12 months of the enactment of this bill. Mm-hmm. The other thing that it does uh, is it creates, uh, most importantly, or as importantly, uh, our statewide broadband development office. And uh, which, course, which, which, which representative we don't have either, right? That's you said that we didn't, we're one of a certain number of states without a plan. We also are a certain right. number of states without an office, right? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So currently we don't have a broadband office in the state of Texas. So we'll create an office. The office will be in charge of several, really three things. One is the, the plan, the implementation of the, twi- the plan within 12 months. The other thing is we call for in the bill uh, is the creation of a broadband development account. And that account will be at the comptroller's office. Uh, and that account will be able to uh, pull down and leverage federal, state, and private dollars uh, that can be put into uh, the creation uh, of, of greater broadband infrastructure across the state or other things that the office uh, deems is necessary. Yeah. And then lastly, Evan, uh, as, in, in, as important as anything that I've discussed is the mapping that we are uh, calling for the office to control. And that has to be produced within 12 months. And the importance of the mapping uh, is that you know, everybody talks about the digital divide. Well, we need to know not just down to the census level, which is what the feds have traditionally done, but we need to know down to the household level who has access to broadband and who doesn't. And importantly, on the affordability side, those people that do have access to broadband, why are, we need to know why they're not uh, adopting it. Right. So there's a whole bunch of different reasons why somebody might not have broadband in their lives. Right. They might not have physical access to it. They might have access to it, but they either choose not to access it or maybe they don't have the resources to to make it affordable. And that's where some of these subsidies come in. Right. And then we'll, we'll talk a little while. But there's also the question of whether people have adequate devices to access it. Right. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different reasons. Come back to the state uh, office for a second, uh, uh, Representative. Are, are you imagining that there'll be a broadband czar for the state of Texas? Are you going to put some person in charge of this big effort? Is that the plan? Well, we don't create a czar per se, but what we do create is, uh, again, the the, uh, the broadband office. Uh, and in our bill, uh, it's housed at the comptroller's office. Um, and there were several reasons why we put it there. Uh one, of course, is which uh, the comptroller's office already has, uh, you know, a history of dealing with one-off programs uh, at the state level. Secondly, they, they have a statewide presence. Uh, you know, they have built in and, and maintained relationships with local folks, uh, you know, because of sales tax collection, for right. example. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and lastly, uh, you know, the question uh, will come up, you know, how many how many employees are, are tasked to this office? And, um, you know, we don't have a firm number on that. My, my suspicion is it will probably end up with about five full-time employees. Uh, but that number uh, could, could swell, uh, if you will, depending on additional responsibilities that may be given to the office. Right. I mean, I ask about a czar, not in a literal sense, who, you know, do you, are you going to name a broadband czar? But more that if everybody owns this, nobody owns this, right? It has to live with somebody, even if it lives within the controller's office. The fact is somebody has to be the person responsible for administering this thing, for actually keeping the momentum moving forward. So 
you assume that there would be a designee wherever this thing ends up uh, housed. Sure. Right. There'll be a director. There'll be a director. Um, you mentioned that you want to have it in the controller's office. I want to ask you about differences with the Senate version, Senator Nichols's version. My understanding is there may be a difference there where this is housed in your bill versus his bill that would presumably have to be worked out as the process goes. That, yes, uh, <laughs> I'm hearing the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, initially, when our bills were filed, they were identical companion bills. But of course, uh, as more of our colleagues and leadership uh, has engaged on the issue, uh, you know, that certainly there, there could be some tweaks and changes. So I'm not uh, certain where the Senate language stands today. But Senator Nichols, and I have known all along that this issue that you just touched on will probably one of be one of the most discussed issues of the whole bill. Where, and right. that is where it's housed. Right. But the reality is there's momentum in the House. There's momentum in the Senate. There's momentum in the governor's office. There's a need out in the world. There's not anything that's going to get in the way of this. You'll go to conference. You'll figure out the differences. That's not going to be the thing that's, that's right. going to stall, stall this thing. All right. Absolutely. Come, come back to the mechanism that you're creating in this bill to uh, take in money. State money I get, federal money you alluded to earlier would come in the form of whether it's the FCC or the USDA or whatever the federal process right now for sending money to the states to help on this issue. That's I get that. You talked about private money. Talk about private money. What private money are you referring to? Yeah, so uh, one of the uh, surprises, uh, pleasant surprises, uh, since we have been working on this issue is that there are a number of philanthropic foundations uh not just in Texas, uh, but primarily in Texas, uh, but several outside of the state that have engaged with us on this uh, in this conversation about the deployment of broadband, especially in rural communities. And so uh, we believe that based on conversations with a number of uh, small, midsize and large uh, philanthropic organizations that we'll see nonprofit dollars flow into this as well. Yeah, but well, it's, it's hopeful, right? Uh, uh, that you can get some money to help support this. I mean, the fact is the cost of this is going to be pretty significant. I want to ask you about that. You're going to need all the money you can possibly uh, get. Um, let me ask you a general question about the money first before we get into specifics. You know that the budget this time is going to be a little bit tight. It's not going to be as bad as we thought it was going to be, according to the comptroller. Um, but it's also going to be hard to find a whole lot of new money to do a whole lot of new stuff, just given the challenges that we face as a state. You have any concern about whether the money is there in the budget and will the money that you're talking about accessing for the purposes of of um, activating this plan come out of general revenue or is there maybe an, uh, an, an economic stabilization fund rainy day fund play at work here yeah so based on the 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 fact that this is a priority uh for the leadership in Texas, starting with the governor uh, and the lieutenant governor, certainly with Speaker Thielen, uh, I feel confident that the dollars will be there for the upcoming biennium to fund the office, the plan, the mapping. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I feel confident that the dollars will be there. Now, whether or not those dollars uh, are economic stabilization fund or whether they come from GR, uh, you know, right now, I do not 
you know, have a, the answer to that, but I just, at the end of the day, what I'm yeah. really worried about, what I'm focused on is getting the, the plan funded along with many of my colleagues. Of course, I'm thinking about the mechanism necessary on the rainy day fund for this to be a one-time expense and, you know, and all that. I mean, this does set up in a way where you could see how the rainy day fund could be accessed potentially uh, uh, to, to support this. Of course, I'm also thinking back, uh, Representative, to this creation of the SWIFT, uh, you know, in the last mm -hmm. decade, the, the water infrastructure fund and how that was kind of a whole other mechanism so you have some latitude, presumably, to build this however you want. And that may be part of the discussion is exactly how do you fund this now and how do you fund this on an ongoing basis? I mean, I looked up what the other states, big states, comparable states in population are spending on this. The, I think the state of Illinois, which is obviously smaller, significantly smaller than Texas, I think they allocated in 2019 $400 million mm -hmm. for their broadband plan. The state of California seems to have allocated about 650 million. I think they've spent, they've, they've only really awarded about half of that at this point in the, in the current budget, if I'm reading the numbers right, but that's a lot, that's a significant amount of money. And again, to, to get that money from, to go from zero to 400 million or 650 million in a budget our size is theoretically not that big a deal, but it's just a question of where it is and whether people have the stomach to spend that much money on this. Correct, yes. So, and the other thing I would, would highlight uh, in looking at what some other states have done on their broadband plan, as well as just uh, the physical uh, infrastructure development, uh, is uh, in the first round of CARES Act funding last year, there were a number of states that used those federal dollars, leveraged those, if you will, right. uh, to, to execute a plan or to build out additional infrastructure. And so, as we're looking at a second round of CARES Act funding uh, coming, um, you know, with this bill having the infrastructure in place, a, a plan, a ha you know, a, an office <laughs> to execute yeah. and, and fund plans, uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's there's an opportunity there as well on the funding side. But certainly on a go forward basis, Evan, uh, we're going to do all we can this session to put the nuts and bolts in place, you know, with the office, the staffing, the plan, the mapping. But beyond that, certainly uh, the investment of federal state, again, private dollars is going to be significant in terms to right. whether it be incentivizing uh, adoption of broadband service or facilitating the build out of the infrastructure itself. Well, the CARES funding that you mentioned is actually an interesting point. Don't we have a couple billion dollars in CARES uh, uh, allocation? Care, care, isn't there CARES funding hanging over from the last time we got CARES funding that we thought we had to use by the end of the year? We ended up getting an extension on that, but theoretically that money is not spoken for. Have you had a conversation with the governor's office or anybody else about the possibility of accessing money from that pool? We have not. But I mean, theoretically, that could be a conversation. I mean, leaving aside any new money that you get, you could have a conversation about old money. That is correct. Yes, yeah. we, we, we could have that conversation, and I'm sure we will have that conversation. But again, to this point, to be clear, we've been focused on, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of just get, have, you know, calling for the creation of an office and getting a plan and putting yeah. a mapping into place so we know where and where we not, do not have access to broadband services. That, that's really where we've been focused to this point. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you about subsidies. We were talking a little bit earlier about the possibility of some kind of subsidies to enable communities to get this stuff uh, uh, in place. A couple of weeks back, the Tribune reported on uh, the states slashing subsidies that help providers offer service in sparsely populated areas. I think 
you know, in a nutshell, what the story said was that there are more than a million Texas households in rural areas where network phone service is more expensive to provide, fewer customers, longer distances between them. Broadband internet service is not subsidized, but is often provided on those same lines. And ordinarily, the state reimburses telecommunications providers for providing service in those areas through something called the Texas Universal Service Fund. You probably know about this. But the fund has been losing money and they've now cut it. Um, the Public Utility Commission, which oversees the fund, apparently is only reimbursing telecoms to the tune of about 30 to 40% of their service costs. And providers in parts of the state, like your own uh, representative, are saying that they're worried this is going to reduce service, actually. What, what do we do about this? What do we do about giving, whether it's through your bill or anything else, the means for the state to reimburse these local telecoms for helping to solve this problem? Yeah. Great question, and I, I want to be uh, clear here with our listeners uh, because it, it is a related issue, but to a large degree, it is a separate issue when you discuss the, the Texas Universal Service Fund. Uh, and you are exactly right in, in your description of the problems that we're facing in the USF in terms of the recent cuts uh, that our providers have experienced as a result of decision at the PUC, which, by the way, uh, a lot of folks uh, that I represent and across the state are very unhappy about. Yeah. Uh, but yes. So j just to, for a second or two, let me speak to the USF. Yes. Uh, that's not, that is a problem that needs to be addressed. This, it has to be addressed this legislative session. Uh, I feel confident uh, there will be multiple pieces of legislation filed on this issue, but that is not something that is contained in house bill five, but you are correct that in the, to the extent that broadband service generally defined as provided in especially the rural parts of the state, uh, certainly our rural telephone co-ops uh, in many areas uh, will be a provider uh, in that space that will be, look, be looked at to provide that service uh, or to con continue and further build out the yeah. broadband service that they already have. But uh, I wanna be clear, uh, you know, our, our, our telephone co-ops is just one option. You also, of course, you have, you know, your, your fiber optic companies, your, your, your big companies, of course, uh, your, mm -hmm. your private provide internet service providers that everybody would recognize. Uh, yeah. You have growing, you have cellular, uh, you know, uh, broadband service that increasingly is being offered. And now you have satellite, which uh, a lot of people are very bullish on. So our bill, to be clear, is agnostic on the, the technology uh, that will be used to deploy broadband across the state of Texas. We're not putting telephone or anybody above one another. We we're, we're, we have a level playing field that everybody can compete in the marketplace. Uh, but back to the USF, uh, that is a, a, a major and a real problem for many parts of rural state and uh, rural Texas. And it's something that we must address this issue is this session as well as the issue of broadband. Well, I mean, you understand that if your bill takes us forward, the fact is, if this doesn't get corrected, it sort of works in the other direction, right? I mean, here you are trying to advance the cause of this, but then around the state, you have all these situations that are actually uh, uh, backsliding. And, and I mean, I understand that it's not in your bill, but of course they are related. You mentioned the big telecoms in talking about the Universal Service Fund, that there's another conversation around the big providers. You know, I've always heard that the big providers maybe were one of the reasons that we didn't have a massive broadband plan or overhaul previously. Is that true? Were the, were the big for-profit companies somehow concerned that if the state got into the business of enabling all this access, that it would eat into their business? 
Well, I can't speak directly to to the accuracy of that statement, but what I can tell you is what I know and what I have experienced in dealing with this particular piece of legislation we're talking about. Yeah. And that is that the big internet service providers that you've alluded to, they have uh, honestly been very helpful to this point. Uh, certainly, we have provided them a seat at the table uh, to offer their input uh, because ultimately, to a large degree, they're going to be the ones tasked with carrying out the expansion yeah. of broadband service. And so right. we have to make sure we have a workable plan. And um, and so we've 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 done that. Uh, and for and I'll give you one example. They have brought up some uh, very valid points as it pertains to proprietary information that would be shared with the uh, the Office of Broadband Development that, again, we create in this bill. And. Had it not been for uh, those discussions, um, we may not have you know, been able to, to address that in the bill. And of course, that would have created some real tension <laughs> with those companies as we mar march through the legislative process. And so right. we've tried to, on the front end, Evan, sit down with the, the, the bigger companies uh, that, are, that are currently and are going to be increasingly asked to provide this uh, technology to our uh, other parts of the state. And we feel like to this point, we're, uh, we're at a point where we've been able to alleviate a lot of the concerns that they have. So as far as you're concerned, the big players are on board. They're not going to be obstacles. They're not going to deploy their massive lobby teams to try to kill this bill. They're on board from what you know. I, I would say hopefully they're all at least neutral, if not supportive at this point. Is anybody opposed to this, Chairman? I mean, Representative, is anybody opposed to this? I mean, that's the part that I'm trying to think about. Who could potentially be against this? Who could be against I'm it? Not, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not aware of uh, any body, any interest group, uh, any yeah. member of the legislature that uh, would be opposed to this legislation. Of course, the devil is always in the always, details. always. And uh, as we, uh, you know, move forward and, and start taking, uh, you know, public comment and going through the hearing process, I'm sure uh, we'll hear some some issues that uh, that folks would like remedied or addressed. And, and to be clear, I've never filed the perfect piece of legislation. You know, we're we're on our third version. Uh, of what is soon to be House Bill 5. And so uh, we'll continue to, to work with uh, all the stakeholders and members right. uh, during this process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you probably have more versions of the bill than you have right now before this is over, right? <laughs> Undoubtedly. Pretty, pretty, pretty sure. So let me just ask you about a couple more aspects of this. And I want to step back a little bit and maybe end where we began talking about rural Texas. Um, as I look at this bill and I look at this issue, there appear to be disparities in at least five areas in, as it relates to access to broadband, race, geography, age, education level, and poverty. You know, in, in every one of those cases, if you're, if you're non-white in Texas, you have less use of access to broadband. If you live in a part of the state like yours, representative, rural communities, much less access. If you're older, you probably have less access. If you're less well-educated, you have less access. And if you're poor, regardless of race, age, geography, education level, poor families, I saw a statistic that said poor families were less likely by five times to have access to high-speed internet. Is there anything that your legislation can do to address these disparities. Again, back to the pandemic, we knew that many disparities existed in Texas before. 
But on race, for instance, the health outcomes during the pandemic have been significantly worse in African-American and Hispanic communities. It's not like the race disparities didn't exist before, but they've been made, they've been laid bare during this. In some ways, mm -hmm. broadband is the same thing. We know the disparities exist, but in these cases, the disparities are, are, are exacerbated. H how does your bill address, does your bill think about and, address, and, and try to address these disparities? Yeah, thank you, Evan. That is a, a really great question. Uh, question and you brought up some very significant data points as it pertains to the accessibility of broadband and you're exactly right when you look at the subgroups that are really struggling today um, I'll, I'll I will harken back to the September letter I wrote, we talked about earlier yeah uh, to the governor calling for a statewide broadband plan uh, it was uh, very um, point pointed to me as I looked at the signatures on that letter that about, well, actually a little more than half of those signatures were members of the legislature from urban areas. Yeah. And so as I started to have conversations with my colleagues about, you know, the problem that they're experiencing, say in downtown Houston, uh, where there was, as was described to me, uh, broadband deserts, uh, I became really interested in learning more about the not just the accessibility issue, but the affordability component of uh, broadband. And so yeah. as we started putting together this bill, one of the things that we wanted the uh, hopefully soon to be created broadband office to do was to drill down on this. Uh, you, you know, we can't be prescriptive uh, enough in this bill to go in and address the affordability issue, you know, specifically. But what we can do is to direct the office to look at identifying ways to address the accessibilities for the different subpopulations that you looked at. And I, I think that, and I'll give you one example. Uh, I was talking with Commissioner Morath the other day over TA, which has carried out uh, their second phase of Operation Connectivity, which really looks at mapping uh, our school children, those that have access to broadband and those that, that don't. And they uh, have some pretty interesting ideas over there about the role the state, uh, in particular through their agency, could play in providing more adoption of broadband service to the families that have access to it but are not using it. And the, as you said, many times it's an affordability. It could be an issue of a language barrier. Yep. Uh, in some cases, the, uh, parents that are or students that are English as a second language. And so... Uh, I was very interested in hearing, you know, what his thoughts were on that, because I do think that there is a role here for the state to play in potentially leveraging uh, our ability to work with our Internet service providers to address the affordability issue. And so that'll be part of what this uh, new office uh, is tasked with. But certainly, um, you know, as, as I've as I've told some of my friends, this bill, you know, we talk a lot in my area about rural access, but this bill, to be clear, is about statewide broadband access for all Texans, no matter where they live. Yeah. And again, on the affordability question, as I said earlier to you, another potential scenario here is affordability of, of, of devices. I mean, it's not even just about getting access. You know, the most vulnerable populations in the state access the Internet on a smartphone. And, you know, mo mobile is great, but it doesn't really bridge the digital divide. The fact is that you can't enjoy the full benefits of high-speed broadband if you're simply accessing it on a smartphone. And, you know, you mentioned Commissioner Morath. Students with a computer at home are more likely to graduate than those who don't have one. Uh, 
And That's so right. there is obviously a way for public ed to play a role in here in providing devices in school districts where they can do that. I mean, that's, I, I think the device affordability is going to be as critical in all this as the access affordability, right? Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, before we go, uh, Representative, you, you, you are one of the legislators who speaks loudly on rural, uh, not just on broadband access, but on whether it's, you said public ed earlier, rural health, economic development. You know the way the population is changing in Texas. The, you know, each, each year it seems a smaller percentage of the overall population of Texas is in a part of the state that looks like yours. There's still a lot of people in rural Texas, but the, it seems like the conversation is moving away from a time when rural was at the center of everything to a time when we accept the reality that we're an urban state increasingly. And the growth of the population over the next 30 years is going to be more and more in urban areas. What do you do about that as a rural legislator, somebody who is a son of rural Texas, who cares about this, cares about its constituents? How do you accept and acknowledge the reality of that, but still fight the fight on behalf of whether it's broadband access or any of these other issues? Well, Evan, yes, uh, you're right. When you look at uh, Texas, uh, you know, increasingly we are uh, becoming a more urbanized state. Uh, but, you know, let's be clear, uh, that doesn't mean that the folks that are blessed to live in rural Texas uh, don't deserve the same access to a quality education, a quality of life, quality access to health care, uh, quality access to, again, the necessity of Internet uh, as our urban and suburban friends and neighbors. Uh, and so while, yes, uh, increasingly uh, we see a smaller population as a percentage of folks that live in rural Texas, that still doesn't lessen to one, uh, one degree the importance that we, I believe as a state, must put on taking care of rural Texas. Uh, yeah. And it's, it, it's gonna be interesting. I, I know as our state is, has grown immensely over uh, the last two or three decades, uh, of course, most of that has been in the bigger cities and suburbs, but what we're seeing in rural Texas, especially uh, those areas that uh, are in rural counties along a, maybe a major highway coming out of, uh, you know, one of the five uh, metropolitan areas in the state, is we're kind of seeing a renaissance and a resurgence of folks that uh, are kind of tired of the rat race, uh, tired of the hustle and bustle. And, and with the expansion of, say, broadband, yep. they can have their business or work from home, live in a rural county, uh, and have all the, the quality of life that that has to offer. And so, I am not convinced going forward that we're in certain areas of Texas, especially the rural counties along our major highways, where we're not going to see uh, where we're not going to see uh, a, a pretty marked increase in population. Uh, I, 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 we're seeing it up the Highway 59 corridor coming out of Houston uh, towards towards Lufkin, my hometown, and I, I think that will continue. Uh, but the other thing I will say is, um, you know, I mean, rural Texas, it, it, it's it's our heritage. It's who we are. And so, yes, as, as, as and I feel blessed to say this, as one of our rural lawmakers, uh, I have to, you know, think smarter and, and work harder sometimes to make sure that, you know, the constituents that I'm blessed to represent, just like many of my rural colleagues, that we take care of them and that we're able to uh, speak with some of it, what of an outsized voice when it comes to policy matters in Austin. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, State Representative Trent Ashby, 
And thanks to the sponsors of this episode, the Texas Farm Bureau, the Texas Municipal League, Texas Electric Cooperatives, the Texas Organization of Rural and Community Hospitals, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 87th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.